Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are kicking off a new series this morning, as you can see up here, Small Town Big Plans. Um, And we're going to be talking about that and kind of unpack it a little bit more. But before we jump into that... um, Probably a lot of you know, or maybe would just guess, I connect with a lot of people. Um, I Hi, guys. I just saw somebody I haven't seen for a while. Um, so uh, it was also total rabbit trail, but I had a really awesome uh, former youth group kids that I haven't seen in a really long time are here, so I won't make you go on the spot. But I haven't seen them forever, and they're grown-ups, so it's always really fun. So uh, this is the cool church service. Uh, Back on track. It, uh, I connect with a lot of different people in a lot of different places, uh, here at church, obviously, out in the community and different places with blessing beds. Uh, the blessing beds, uh, people and a lot of my friends will always joke, like, uh, I know a guy that knows a guy, right? So I always have a guy for that. And if you need something, I know a guy and I'm probably like not more than one or two guys away from the person you need for whatever you need, right? Like, and it's kind of fun as you get to network and build relationships. One of the things that I do is I always try to have a couple of things that I stay curious about as I'm connecting with different people all over the place. These are not the only things I'm interested in, but there are a couple things that I try to stay real curious about. And that's, um, what do people think about Jesus and what do people think about the church? And I always try to um, weave that in somehow, if I possibly can, to just learn. Now, what's interesting is how consistent the answers are, because when it comes to what do people think about Jesus, um, I, being a pastor, and a lot of people know that I work at a church, typically get pretty Sunday school answers like, yeah, Jesus, thumbs up. He's great. You know, he's my homeboy or whatever, right? Like, I love Jesus. He's great. And people say nice things to me about Jesus, which is sort of assumed. Like, it's hard to get away. Like, is anybody going to really be real about that or tell me? Maybe once in a while. But but people say the right things to me. And then if I kind of press in and I get to kind of stay curious and ask people, what do they think about church? Or I, or I weave that into a conversation uh, to find out what people think about church. Unfortunately, the majority of people um, all give the same kinds of answers, and it's usually what they don't like about church is what I usually hear. I usually hear a lot of church stories about the, I, there was a thing with a guy and there was a place and there was a stuff and there was a, right, there was a, something happened. Man, there's always, something always happens. Um, it, there's people at these other churches and it turns out it's hard when there's a lot of people, right? And so people say things to me about their church stuff. They tell me that, that it was, uh, you know, like a really hard uh, church experience, that they had a bad church experience they say that they, uh, you know, like their church sto- story is like, I got tired of people making me feel guilty and laying things on me. Um, they say things like, I just don't even get it. I don't understand why are there so many churches that feels like they're everywhere? Like, what's the point? There's just so many of them. Or they'll say that, that uh, churches just seem like they're competing for the same customers. Um, and it's like, it feels like the same people just bounce around from place to place to place. Or, or they'll say something like the church brainwashes people. And I share that because it's far too common that when people talk about church in general, what often comes up 
in fact, the majority of the time, is uh, not so great church comments or stories. And the thing is, God has big plans for us in Pullman and on the Palouse. God has big plans and big ideas and big things in store for us. And his heart's desire is that that uh, those plans would be accomplished through the local church, through the church. And you can, you can kind of hang on to the sovereignty of God and go like, well, here's the deal. Like God can, God's sovereign. He can reach anybody at any place at any time. Like he could, he could connect any individual person. And, and while that may be true, there's just no getting around that the way God has designed things, the way God uh, desires for his will and purposes to be accomplished is through the body through the church. And so what that means is church is really, really important. Church is a big deal. And when we start talking about church, um, we can think about it in a couple of different ways, right? We can think about it like it's a place, and people often will talk about church like it's a building. Like, yeah, I have some friends, they go to such and such place, and I have some other friends, and they go to this place, and I used to go to that place. And when we talk about church, we talk about the place that we go. And that's really not what God has in mind when he talks about what the church is. If you look at what Paul says in Romans 16, he's just given a greeting here. He says, I give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So in other words, this, this particular scripture and many others, Paul paints a picture that the church is not the home or the building, it's the people that meet there. I'm giving my greetings to the church that meets in the home. It's the, the gathering of people that meet in the home. And the, the Greek word that gets translated in our Bibles to be the word church is called ekklesia. And that just simply means uh, an assembly of people or uh, like the called out ones. And so there's this picture that the church is a gathering or an assembly of people who believe in, in Jesus and they're called out, right? They're called out for something. They're, they're called out together to gather together to assemble for a purpose. Now, if you're scratching your head going, I wonder what that purpose is, jump online and rewind the last five weeks and listen to that last five weeks worth of series that we just did called Discover Your Mission because we unpacked as clearly as we possibly could what the purpose is. Like, what are we all about? So, Paul not only talks about the church as a body of um, believers, like a gathered uh, group of believers, but he also says that Jesus is the head of that body. Take a look at Ephesians 1. He says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So if the church is like a body, then Jesus is like the head of the body. And we all know the body isn't so great without the head, right? Like we're kind of dysfunctional, like not working. So the body is the gathering of believers. Jesus is the head of the body. What I also love how Paul paints this picture in here is he says that also that like God also fills in all of the little parts. Like I get this sense that what he's trying to say is it's like the spirit of God 
fills in all the little nooks and crannies in the body. And like, it, it actually is like the lifeblood of the body is the spirit of God. And there's a couple of ways that we typically kind of talk about church in general. We can talk about it like Big C Church, right? So when we say Big C Church, what most people in our culture mean is all of the believers everywhere, all around the planet, everybody that has faith in Jesus and is following Jesus, that is, those are all the people that are a part of the big church, like the whole family, the big body of believers. In Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So in the big picture, we're all one body. We have the same spirit, right? And, and Paul goes on to, he's saying like in here, like your identity might've been a Jew or a Gentile or a slave. If he was going to say it in modern language for us today, he might say something like some of you were Catholics, some of you uh, were Methodists, some of you were Lutheran, some of you are agnostic, others might've been an atheist. But when you put your faith in Jesus and you receive salvation by grace, you all receive one spirit, and it's the same spirit for all. And as a result, we are all now a part of one body. It's like this idea that he'll say in other places that we're made a new creation. We literally are made new. We have a new identity. And so that's kind of big C church. All believers everywhere are a part of the big body of believers. But we also talk about church little c. And, and what that really means is probably more like local gatherings of believers, smaller area of churches. For example, in Galatians, Paul's writing to uh, the Galatians, which is a region, kind of like saying he was writing to the Palouse. And when, you, when we say the Palouse, we all know that means uh, an area with a bunch of different little parts and pieces in it. That's the same that Paul had in mind when he said Galatia. And so he says in Galatia, this letter's from Paul, an apostle. He gives some other greetings. And then verse two, he says, all the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. And so for us, little C church would be like all the churches of the Palouse, for example. And so there's big C church, all the believers everywhere. There's little C church, of all the churches on the Palouse. And I just, I'm fleshing this out a little bit because it's really important for us to keep going back to God's word and God's plan and God's design and God's language and vision for what the church is supposed to be and not get stuck with our, like the church is not a building. The church is not one place. The church is all believers everywhere. And then when we talk about it in a tangible way, we're talking about like all of the local uh, gatherings of believers in an area. For example, like Uniontown and Colton and Colfax and Genesee and Moscow and maybe down in the valley and maybe up towards Rosalia. Like we stretch out and we're like, this is the church. It's all of those pockets of believers that are assembling together, that are gathered. That's what we have in mind when we say the church. And it's really important that we stop and refocus on that, that we remember what God has in mind when he talks about the church, because it's quite frankly, really easy for us to 
slide off of the slippery slope accidentally into building our own brand. For all of the leaders in all of these churches in any given place, it's challenging to be in the leadership of an organization that you care deeply about, that you want to grow, that you want to see healthy, and there's staff involved, and there's budgets involved, and there's events involved, and buildings involved, and money involved, and people involved, and before long, you can not purposely, but sort of accidentally, you can become uh, more about building the brand than winning people to Jesus. And if that's what happens, man, we're in trouble. And, and remembering this is so important because the, the, the church that's going to be here in the future on the Palouse is going to be greatly affected by our success at staying grounded to God's plan that the church is more than this building, that the church on the Palouse is more than real life, that the church on the Palouse is more than just a few of us that are friends with each other, that the church on the Palouse is everywhere. There are people who are gathered together in Jesus' name and assembled together, called out from their house to assemble together to worship God. Like, that is the church on the Palouse. Now, I will mention that there are other uh, gatherings of believers uh, in different things on the Palouse that don't necessarily teach um, things that line up with biblical Christianity, like essential biblical Christian teachings. They teach something different than biblical Christianity, and that teaching puts them outside of the church. There's something different. Now, it, it, and it's no different than just individuals that believe things where they add a lot to Scripture or they take away a lot from Scripture and they actually believe something different than Bible. And, and that puts them outside of the church. Now, if you're going like, well, man, how would you even know? Uh, again, rewind. We started the year off going through this series uh, called like Bullseye uh, Faith, where we helped you learn like what's really on the bullseye? What are your essential beliefs as a Christian? What are important beliefs as a Christian? What are personal beliefs as a Christian? And so if you're going, man, I'd like to know more about that. I don't know if I caught that one. Jump online. Go back and find what we kicked off the year with. There's a, a bullseye on it. It's easy to find. So there's that. And I just want to remind us, it's, it's just super important that we, re, we reflect on this. We talk about the significance of what church is, what God's plan is for the church, because it helps us think rightly. And when I want to say think rightly, it helps us think like, as members of the, the family here, it helps us think more like Team Jesus instead of Team Real Life. And it's a challenging thing to do because I love real life. I love our church. I love our family. It's really easy to like drum up unity around real life. And that's the wrong thing. The right thing is to drum up unity around Jesus. And so we talk team Jesus. I try to integrate that language into my life a lot so that it helps me stay focused on not accidentally putting people to the wrong thing. I hang out with a friend of mine, Cornelius, a lot. Many of you know him. He's one of our elders in training. And as I've been hanging around him, I picked up how he talks about Team Jesus. He actually says it a little bit different, and I love it. I say Team Jesus. He says, one shepherd, one flock. One shepherd, one flock. And I love that. That's such a cool thing. 
we get this idea. And and having those things fresh on our mind helps us talk rightly about the church. It helps us think and care about the right things so that the church that we're building is the right kind of church, is the church that's going to be a healthy church that's here for our kids and grandkids in the future. So church is a big deal. Local churches are a big deal. They're the, they're the boots on the ground that walk out the purpose and mission that God has given to any given area, right? And so for this series, we're going to camp out in Paul's letter to Titus. And it's a small letter packed full of a lot of information. And so we'll get into that in the weeks to come. But we're going to touch on some other things that Paul teaches uh, in uh, his letters to Timothy, also in his letters to the Corinthians. But for the most part, we're going to do a deep dive into the letter to Titus. And we're going to unpack exactly what does Paul have in mind for what's the design, what's the purpose, what's the, uh, what does church look like, right? And ultimately, I, I hope uh, and pray that at the end of this, all of you will have a really good um, foundation when it comes to understanding uh, these things, what the church is, that you'll really kind of have your, your, your arms around it. You're like, I'm comfortable. I could talk with somebody in a coffee shop and tell them what the church is. I have a reference for that, right? You could also talk about how the church is supposed to be led, which is really important. And then lastly, that you would start to understand and really be growing in your understanding what's your part What's your part as a believer in uh, the local church? Because you do have a part to play as a member of a church. And one of the things I would say is what's really cool about this is, is all of the stuff that we're going to dig into in this series is going to ring true for you no matter where you go in life. We have a lot of people that are here with us for a season because of the nature of our town. And so people that are here for a season, you're going to get your, your arms around. What is the church and how should it be led and what's my part in it? And then you're going to go back home, wherever home is, and you're going to take with you knowledge of the kind of church you're looking for or how to help that church be the right kind of place, right? And for all of us, irregardless of where we go, these things are real portable and can go with us and benefit uh, other places that we go. Now, the thing is, you all have a responsibility. You all actually have a responsibility to learn what the church is supposed to be. If you come at it with everywhere you ever go, you just wait for the guy on the stage to tell you what it's supposed to be, like, that's how things get unhealthy. That's how things get out of whack. That's how things go unchecked. You have a responsibility to learn and to dig in. And so as we go through this series, expect to wrestle with stuff at home. Like, take your sermon notes home. Look up the scriptures. Pray. Talk at your home group, right? Flesh this stuff out. Um, and, and I want you to think, like this time of year, we're getting close to uh, garden ready season. There's some people that are getting some plants started inside, but it's not quite garden season outside yet, but we can see it from where we are. And when we think about getting our stuff ready for a garden, if you've ever done that, getting it ready is a whole bunch of work. Like prepping the soil is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of energy, and you have to know some stuff about how to make the dirt healthy? How do you cultivate the dirt? Now, if you'll do the upfront work 
to cultivate the dirt so that it's really healthy, it makes a huge difference on the fruit that comes out of that garden, right? The type of harvest. Everything's bigger. It's bolder. There's more of it, right? Now, here's what what Jesus says. He says that each of us, all of you, are like soil. He says, literally, it's this picture in Mark chapter 4 in this story that he tells. He says, every one of you, your head and your heart is like soil, and you can, uh, you're going to be a certain type of soil. And so as God's word falls upon you, you're either going to, like, it's either going to grow or it's not going to grow. Now, here's what's really cool and encouraging, because you can sort of hear that and go like, oh, I hope I just lucked out and have good dirt, right? Like, no, 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 no. Here's the cool thing, especially living around here where we know farm stuff, right? You can just about make any dirt good dirt. You can cultivate your head and your heart. You can do things to uh, help you become really healthy soil so that as you grow, as the word of God is planted in you, it it will produce a, 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 a harvest, like he says, 20, 40, 100 fold, right? Like one seed in, 100 cucumbers out. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you've never grown cucumbers, if you, you know what I'm we're like when those ones that just goes really good, a little too good, and you can't give them away fast enough, that's good dirt, right? That's the thing. So that's your, just reminding you of your responsibility to cultivate yourself, cultivate your head, cultivate your heart, so that we're growing the healthy, awesome fruit as a church. So we're going to dig in. We're going to learn a little bit about Titus. Today we're just going to do a little background, kind of set the stage so that we know where we're going and what it looks like, because a lot of people don't know that much about Titus, um, and they know less about his assignment. So When you dig into the scriptures, it's pretty hard to discern when Paul and Titus met or where they met. You can really dig in and track their lives and take some good guesses, but there doesn't seem to be any real easy way to discern exactly where they met. But for sure, we can dig in like detectives and learn some pretty neat things about Titus. Not only about who he is, but how people talk about him helps us learn a lot about who he is and what he's like. So Paul, first of all, describes Titus as a partner and co-worker. In 2 Corinthians 8, he's talking about him. He says he's a partner and a co-worker. And we get a sense that Paul actually thinks of and, and treats Titus more like a, a, a peer or an equal in different circumstances. Seems to have quite a bit of trust for Titus. One of the things that's not readily obvious without doing some pretty good homework is that Titus was instrumental in carrying the letters back and forth to Corinth. And so he's real familiar with that people group there and with Paul. Uh, Another thing is that Paul describes Titus as his true son in the faith. So in the letter that he writes to him, part of the way he addresses the letter to him is to my true son in the faith. Now, that's not just a nice way of doing a, a really loving greeting. It's also a way that that someone like Paul would talk about somebody that he's been instrumental in leading to the Lord or discipling. He says the same thing about Timothy. 
Paul does. He says Timothy is also his true son in the faith. So we get an idea that Paul was probably really instrumental. I don't know if it was in, in Titus's like coming to the Lord or certainly Titus's journey as a disciple growing in his walk with the Lord. Um, and then also we see that Titus was with Paul in Jerusalem for a really important meeting with the apostles to determine if the Gentiles could receive salvation and the same Holy Spirit that the Jews had received. Uh, I want to read Galatians 2 with you. So Paul's writing to the church in Galatia. He's kind of recounting other times when he went up to Jerusalem. Uh, it says, then in four, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented the, to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So if you're uh, not familiar with this, it's Acts 15, and in your Bible, it probably has a little heading above it that's not really scripture, but it's like a little, a little subheading, and it says, the Jerusalem Council. And most people read that, and we've read through it, and maybe you've heard of it, and some of you are really familiar with it. And what I'm saying right now is that when Paul and Barnabas and Titus they head back to Jerusalem to have this conversation with the leaders in Jerusalem, Peter and James and the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem. The conversation is all about, do people like Gentiles? Can they receive salvation? Can they receive the same Holy Spirit that the Jews did without becoming Jewish, without being circumcised, without having to also follow the law? And it's it's really hard to not uh, overstate what a big meeting this is. I mean, some of you in this room, you're familiar with this. A lot of you in this room, it's like deer in the headlights. You're, you're hearing me tell a story and you're hearing me say, this was a really important meeting, but you have no context. It's, not, it's like, I'll just have to take your word for it, but I don't really get it, right? Listen, l- l- check this out. By the time Paul goes for this, <clears throat> excuse me, for this meeting, he's nearly 20 years deep into ministry. Jesus came to Paul in a miraculous revelation and gave Paul a special assignment to be the apostle, the the guy that is going to be his guy to take the good news to Gentiles, people who are not Jewish. Anybody on the planet that's not Jewish is a Gentile, which is probably most of us in this room. And so he gives Paul this special mission and Paul gets after it. He goes, goes for it. He studies, he learns, he grows. He starts going and sharing and planting churches. All the while, he's preaching a gospel that says you can receive salvation by grace alone. There's no works necessary. There's no circumcision necessary. There's no following the law necessary. You don't have to be Jewish. And, and Paul goes at it for years after year after year, picking up disciples, picking up followers, picking up a reputation. And he has some amazing successes, but he also has a lot of epic uh, pushback. A lot of Jews, as he would travel around the world, would push back and go, we don't like that you're letting those people in without having to do what we are required to do. It's not fair. It doesn't seem fair, among other things, that they had problems with. And Paul's devoted to this. You guys, you got to understand, Paul put on thousands of miles 
in these years. Traveled from Jerusalem all the way up through Syria, all the way around the top of the Mediterranean Sea, clear throughout Asia Minor, which is Turkey. The whole big chunk of land that covers the top of the Mediterranean Sea, there is not much of that that Paul didn't walk around and talk to people about Jesus. For years, he picks up people like Titus, and Titus travels with him as a Gentile converted to Christianity to profess his faith, like many of us in this room. And years and years and years and years of this persecution. At one point, Paul was stoned. They, th- they threw rocks at him because he had f- such steep opposition to this gospel that he was preaching. So many that he collapsed in a lump on the ground. They thought everybody thought that he was dead. There's nobody could survive what he just went through. And they left him for dead. And Paul, either by God's help or he's one tough sucker, he's like the bad guy in a movie that just never goes down. He just gets up and just keeps going for it. This is the level of devotion and commitment Paul had to this gospel message. And so he takes Titus with him a Gentile that has, commit, has committed his life to follow Jesus and not become Jewish. And there, the word is out that, that in Jerusalem, at the, the, where the leaders of the church are, there's concern of, can we still do this? Is this okay? And so Paul, after nearly 20 years, goes back to the leadership of the church, and it says here that Paul says to him, Paul says to him, and Titus is here. Titus is with him on this trip. Paul says to him, I preached them the gospel that I do everywhere. Paul showed up and went, listen, I'm just going to tell you what I've been saying to everybody for the last 20 years. You tell me if it's okay. And and he adds on like, I was pretty concerned what their answer was going to be because I've committed my life to this for 20 years, nearly died many times, been put in jail. I've gone through all kinds of things and I've told everybody all of this stuff and I'm just curious if I have just like wasted the last 20 years of my life and none of it's actually gonna hold up. Like, is it really real? And they have this meeting and Titus is there for it and, and, and thankfully the leadership of the church, they, they acknowledge like we can see by the evidence at hand that the Gentiles have received the same Holy Spirit that the Jews did and for these reasons and others, we affirm your calling. We affirm what you've been about. Everything you've done has been good. It holds up. You don't have to go back on anything. And then they say, and again, remember, Titus is here for this. Then they say, not only do we affirm it, we're not going to just send you off, you and Titus and Barnabas, to go out and say, hey, we went for a meeting and everybody said what we teach is good because people might question that you're just making it up and lying. So they said, here's what we're going to do to make sure everybody knows. Once and for all, we're putting this argument to bed. We're going to write letters for you on behalf of the top leadership of the church. And we're going to send other people with you that, that have a reputation as being trustworthy and known as leaders in the local church here with you. So nobody's going to question from here on out the gospel that you're presenting, the way that you're inviting the Gentiles into the family. Nobody will question. We're all in agreement that this is God's plan. Titus, a Gentile, 
who had been years deep with Paul got to be a part of that experience. Titus was the guy. He was, he was exactly who they were arguing about. Can Titus be saved and receive the Holy Spirit, or does he need to be circumcised and follow the law? Now, if you're Titus, going to the holy hoedown at Jerusalem Council, right, like the big lowdown showdown, where they're trying to decide, like this isn't an arbitrary discussion about some theological pie in the sky. This is about me. Like, do I have to do all that stuff? Did what I believe, do the spirit that I had sensed that I had, like, is it real or, or has it all been in vain? Coming out the other side of that deal, tell me Titus doesn't have a bit of conviction in his faith. Tell me he isn't just strong in his belief that the Gentiles are in, that he watched the conversations with the top level leaders of the church. It's pretty amazing that God took Titus there with Paul. And so as we go on, uh, the other thing that we can learn about Titus is that he uh, cared about what Paul cared about. And it says that he showed enthusiasm and initiative, which is really cool. So uh, Paul says when he writes to him, in uh, the, it writes about him in the Corinthian letter, that he says he put into the heart of Titus the same concern for you that I have. In other words, like Titus cared about the Corinthians the same way Paul did and not only welcomed our appeal, but is coming to you with much enthusiasm and of his own initiative. Now, as a leader, it's really cool when the people that you've been leading, you start to see them care about what you care about the same way you do. That's a pretty fun feeling. Kind of like parenting when you walk away and your kids are like, care about what you care about. Same thing in leadership. It's pretty amazing. What's even more exciting is when the people that you've been leading care about what you care about, and then they go after it with enthusiasm and initiative. Like they don't need to be uh, like like handheld all the way along. They just like start dreaming stuff up and going for it to figure out how to do it. It's something I get to experience a lot with our team here, which is pretty cool because you know our staff. We all get together, and you know what we talk about? You. We talk about you. We talk about how can we help you grow in your relationship with God? How can we help your marriages be better, your spiritual life be better? How can we help your worship experience be better? Like, How can we help spur you along and come alongside you? How can we pray for you? And we talk about those things. And then what's so exciting is to see the team on their own start to go off and care about what the elders and I care about to take initiative and go after things with enthusiasm, like this worship night we've got coming up. It's so cool to see Chris getting fired up about a worship night and using his creativity and his energy and, 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 and showing initiative and dreaming up ideas and building team. And on top of that, it's going to be another great model of Team Jesus because there's going to be people leading us in worship that actually, dun, 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 go to a different building. Same Jesus, though, right? Super cool stuff. It's awesome to watch. Uh, Gary and Corbin are both fantastic at taking initiative, and, and they go out, and they're building a relationship with other people in the community, partnering, bringing youth ministry stuff together, bringing college ministry stuff together, being Team Jesus. It's like we talk about it, and then they care about it, and then they like take initiative and go try it. And it's super, super encouraging as a leader to see people like care about what you care about. Now, all of that stuff we learn about Titus is really important. That he's this, 
He's a good guy. Paul sees him as a co-worker, a partner. Paul says that he's got great enthusiasm and he shows initiative. He cares about what he cares about. All of that, that, that he was with him at the Jerusalem council. So like he's seen a lot of the behind the scenes. He's got some deep convictions about his faith for good reason, right? All of that helps add up to explain why it would make sense that Titus would get the assignment that he gets. Because he gets maybe, maybe the worst assignment in the New Testament. Paul sends Titus to Crete. Now you might be thinking like uh, TripAdvisor, island in the Mediterranean, this sounds amazing, right? Uh, This is a long, narrow island. It's got a huge row of mountains that jut up down the spine of the island. The coast is really rugged. It is not an easy place to travel around and hike around. It's 3,000 square miles of rugged, rough terrain. Homer talked about it uh, and said it was an island of a 1,000 cities, Kind of an exaggeration to say that if you sailed around it, it looked like there was pockets of people everywhere. And so the other thing about Crete is Paul highlights that even one of their own philosophers says about Crete that this was a place full of liars and evil people, evil brutes and gluttons. Like nobody here can tell the truth. They are evil, wicked liars and all they do is care about filling their stomach. One of their own philosophers, this isn't like a, this isn't Paul saying it. This is what their own people said about themselves. The other thing about Crete that a lot of people are not familiar with is it was like a dumping ground for Roman war criminals. uh, People that were um, enemies of Rome were sent to Crete. So you get people that Rome doesn't want to deal with. They ship them to this island, sort of like in a, in a laughing way, like, hey, send them to Crete. There's a bunch of evil, wicked, vile people on there that are drunkards and gluttons. Let them have their way with them. Like, that's the best jail you could ever ship somebody to. That's the place. This is the place. This is the assignment that Titus gets, is Crete. Now, what exactly is the assignment? He says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, The reason I left you on Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We can sit down at our kitchen tables or on our Bible app and read Titus whenever it pops up in our reading plan, and we're like, yeah, he was a guy, he was in charge of appointing stuff, getting things in order, Right? And it just does not resonate. It does not, we do not get the picture in our mind of what's going on. This is Paul saying to Titus, like, hey, piece of cake, 3,000 square miles of some of the most rugged terrain a guy could ever walk around, packed full of people that are vile, liars, drunkards, evil, gluttons, full of criminals and people that have been shipped there because nobody else wanted to deal with them. Now your job, no big deal, but your job is to hike around this joint and find the little pockets of believers, Find the people that are proclaiming faith in Jesus. By the way, there's a plethora of other gods being worshipped here. So whatever faith they have in Jesus is probably all jacked up and mixed up with six other types of, of worship. So find the people that think that they're believing in Jesus in these little pockets and all of these little towns around this really rough place. And then when you get to them, just get things in order. It's just that easy. Just get things in order. And then, and then... Find the right kind of people from among them 
to be the elders and overseers, the leaders of these local gatherings of churches. And we'll learn about the kind of guys that Paul told him to look for. And when we hear about the kind of guys Paul told him to look for, and we know where he had to look for them, <laughs> good luck. Here's what I think is really cool about this as a series and, and, and about what Paul had in mind for Titus is, yeah, I think they had strong relationship. Yeah, he really trusted them. He believed in them. He thought that he was a guy that could take this really tough assignment. But I also think that Paul thought he would do it. Like with God's help, the church would be established and healthy and grow in a place like that. And that gives me a ton of hope because if it can work there, man, I think we got a really good shot here on the Palouse. I think we got a really good shot here on the Palouse. So for the weeks ahead, we're going to dive in. We're going to dig into Titus. We're going to learn what the church looks like. What are leaders in the church supposed to look like? Who's supposed to lead it? What's your part in the local church? So I'd say just hang in there with us and let's learn together how we can be the kind of church God wants us to be here in our town. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.